Um, I want to say this morning a very special welcome home to someone who is very dear to our church. Uh, two years ago, we had the privilege of sending her out. Um, she was in a season of life, had gone through med school, and came here to Memphis for residency, and the Lord began to work in her heart and in her life in such a way over a long season, um, and that during, that during the season while she was here, a part of our church, she confirmed she knew that God was calling her to go, to be a part of what he's doing in the most lost and needy places in the world. And she said yes. And she has, for the last years, been our missionary. We had the privilege of sending her out to in one of the most lost and needy places in our world, where she has been practicing as an OB physician and as a gospel witness to everyone that she comes across. We want to welcome home today. She's back right there. You'll stand up, Kristen. <laughs> it's so good for you to be home. Um, we've Kristen is home on furlough, uh, taking a much-needed rest. She will be here for several months and a part of our church in that time. If you don't know Kristen, this season is going to be a wonderful Kristen. I mean. Uh, <laughs> A wonderful Kristen season. This season will be wonderful for you to get to know Kristen. It was funny. She came in and, uh, and so many people have come in in the last years since she's been overseas. And um, she said, I don't know so many people and I want to know them. This is her church home. And, you know, you might not have seen her because she's a part of our body, an extension of us in Pakistan. But this is her church home. And if you don't know her, you will get to know her in these next months. She really wants to connect with you and get to know you. I really want you to get to know her. She is an amazing friend, an amazing woman of God, and you have a lot to learn from people like Kristen. And so, welcome home. We're just really, really, really happy that you're here. She listens online when she gets internet connections. And um, occasionally I'll get messages. She'll get really excited about things that we're doing. She stays really connected to us. It's pretty cool that we have that opportunity with the internet stuff. But anyway, just good for you to be here. She said last week, she's like, I get to listen online, but there's nothing like being here. So it's really fun. Anyway, we are in the middle of a series called... It has an exclamation point at the end of it, so we're going to try it again. <laughs> we're in the middle of a series called... Yes, yes thank you. Um... <laughs> And we've been in this journey now. This is our fourth week in this journey, and we just welcome you back. If you missed any of it, you can get it online. It's not as good online. So glad you're here, but you can listen online uh, to that you've missed. But we've been in this journey of global missions. If you've got your passports today, and I hope everybody's got that global missions passport, there's a place in the back for you to take notes. We're in week four, and the title of today's uh, kind of focus, and this week's focus in small groups, which I also hope you're a part of, is saying Yes, saying yes, and um, that's where we're going to be today. I do hope that you would take notes, whether it's in your passport or on your phone, that you would really seek to be not just a hearer of the word, but a learner and ultimately a doer of the word, and that you might seek to want to teach what you learn to those who uh, still do not know. So saying yes, Psalm 67 has been a central theme of this series as we have looked at, you know, what it is, what is this thing called global missions? And really what we've been talking about over and over and over again is it's learning more and more and more of our wonderful, great God and his big, big heart 
his big, big vision, his big, big plan for not just you, but for all people in the world through his son, Jesus Christ. May God be gracious to us. You can read it if you'd like to with me and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oozing from the heart of God is his love for people, his love for you, his love for the person beside you, the person on the other side of you, the person two rows ahead of you and two rows behind you, his love for the people across the street in Uptown and the people of Midtown and the people of Greater Memphis, his love for all the citizens of Tennessee from the cities to the valleys in East Tennessee and the mountains. His love for the people of the United States as huge of a melting pot and as vast of a population as we have. His love for every single person here and not just that, but his love for people all over this world. His love for people in Latin America who speak Spanish and Portuguese and languages that I don't even know. People that you'd have to take a boat to get to in the middle of the jungles of the Amazon. People in Europe today who are coming out of such a cold era of communism and era of just really, really difficult life. People in Asia, people in Africa, people in India today. God loves people. Everywhere, One of the quotes that's out in our missions gallery is, if God loves anybody anywhere, then his love is for everybody everywhere. And that has been what I hope keeps sinking into your head and down into your heart and begins to transform your life through this series is that God loves you, but not just you, he loves all people. Let the peoples praise you. This is God's word. <laughs> Come on, nations. Realize that your greatest good, the greatest being in all of the world is your God who made you. Come on, come to me, live in relationship with me. Let all of the world resound in a wonderful song of how great is our God. Sing with me, all peoples, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Sing with me, how great is our God. How great, how great is our God. Thank you, God. You are the greatest. You're the one that we want. You're the one that we need. We thank you for your love for us, God. You hear God's heart. That's really been the heart, the echo of this series. And I pray that you would continue to embrace that. And as you get to know God, and um, you know, one of the wonderful things is that we all get to have a personal relationship with God. God wants that with you. One of the most wonderful things as you get to know God in your own personal relationship with him is to know that he also offers himself in a personal relationship with everyone else. And you begin to want that too. And that's one of the wonderful journeys of growing in an awareness of his heart for the world. Well, today, like I said, we are on saying yes. And I wanna take the next step in this journey. And I told you it is a journey. Every step is important. And so we don't just enter today you know, as the first step. It's definitely a journey. 
we've been looking at God's heart and vision for the world. We looked at the needs, the brokenness of the world and the needs that are all around us. We also looked at the hope of Christ that is in the world and God's present work, the present opportunity that is in the world today, his work among all nations. Today, we take that next step toward saying yes. Here's what I want you to see today. You can write it down. And that God does not just have a vision for redeeming the world, but he also has a strategy. God does not just have a vision, but also a strategy for redeeming the world. If you've got your Bibles today, if you could open them to the book of Romans, it's in the New Testament. Just behind the four Gospels and Acts, you'll find the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10. God does not only have a vision, but a strategy for redeeming the world. This is uh, one of the best places that we could go for our focus today. We'll look at other verses throughout the day, and I hope you pay attention to all of them because they are all God's word. But I remember when I first read the book of Romans, when I was in college, really read it seriously, not just heard it, but actually opened it up and read it. One of the best things you can do to know more of God is to open up the Bible and read it and let God speak to you. I remember getting through the book of Romans and coming across this chapter and it hit me in a really, really fresh way. If you don't know anything about the book of Romans, basically Paul is kind of outlining, he's summarizing God's plan of salvation for the world. He starts by helping us understand that everybody is created to have a relationship with God. Everybody. Everybody knows that God exists. Everybody knows that our life is to be lived for him. Everybody's aware of the truth. But one by one by one, everybody suppresses the truth and exchanges a relationship with God for lesser things. Other people, things in this world, self-idolization. Every person suppresses the truth about God chooses to believe a lie and goes their own direction in exchanging that truth for, and that wonderful relationship that we could have with him for something less. And the reality is it's every person in the world has done this and there is a consequence to that. Paul lays out that consequence in Romans chapter two and says that all are ultimately guilty of this before God. And God being a perfect and just God must, being just, he must punish sin. And sin does have a consequence, and we learn in the book of Romans that that consequence is death. For the wages of sin is death. Separation from God, death, eternal death. But the wonderful news that is given to us in the scriptures and is presented to us in that book of Romans in chapter three is that God has made a way to save us from our sins to take away the consequence that we do deserve. He has found a way to be both just and to be a loving, merciful, justifier, forgiver of sins by giving of himself, his son, Jesus Christ. He took on sin. He paid the penalty for it in his own body. He bore the consequences of our sin. And in so doing that, as he hung on the cross, he also allowed for mercy for all who would believe in him. He also offered forgiveness 
freedom of guilt and shame, the removal of that consequence by taking the consequence himself so that in Christ he might be the both just and justifier of those who trust in Jesus. It's a wonderful, the most wonderful news in the world is that God knows your sin, knows the consequence that you deserve, but still loves you and gave himself for you, right? It's amazing. It's amazing that God is a savior of sin and that faith is essential. He says this in Romans, that faith is essential, that without that union with Christ, there is no forgiveness, there is no salvation, there is no removal of sin. We must be in Christ, right? Then you get to Romans chapter 10. And he begins to explain this further. I'll never forget when I first read it. It hit me like a ton of bricks because I don't think I had ever connected really the dots. I knew God's heart. I knew God's plan. I knew God's available salvation. I knew that Jesus would save all who called on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's God's promise here in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. If you see it in your Bible, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I knew that. And I believed that. And I had called on the name of the Lord for salvation. But the next part hit me. Because it highlights that there is a way that God has, there's a strategy that God has outlined for this salvation to come to people like you and me. Verse 14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul is not just showing off his awesome rhetorical skill, which he does have awesome rhetorical skill, but he's also outlining a clear strategy that you and I need to get a hold of, okay? I've outlined it here on the screen so that you can see it. And if you have something to write down, I encourage you to write it down. Ultimately, here's the the strategy that God has for redeeming the world. God wants to redeem the world. We know that. He has a heart for that. He has a vision for that. All who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. But there's, here's a strategy. The strategy is this. If you just kind of take it backwards. First, God sends his servants. He says, go. Go and proclaim the wonderful news of Jesus. Then, His servants go. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. After going, they begin preaching. And then as they preach, people do what? They hear. When people hear the good news of Jesus, not all of them, but some of them will do what? Believe. God's word does not return void. He is building his church. When you proclaim the gospel, God works in the lives of some who believe. As people hear, some believe. And when they believe, what do they do? 
They call out. If you think about the first time that you really believed, what saves us is that heart cry, that sincere cry from the bottom of our heart, oh Lord Jesus, I've heard that I am a sinner. I recognize that. I know that I need salvation and I know I can't do anything to attain salvation, but God, I have heard that you will save me. What you've done in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection is enough to reunite me with you to forgive my sins and to give me new life. Oh, Lord, I believe this and I need this. God, will you save me? Have mercy on me, a sinner. That heart cry, calling upon the Lord. And what is the promise? That everybody who calls will be what? Saved. And that's the fruit that we want to see all around the world is God's wonderful salvation coming to all people. But we've got to recognize in this that it's not just a vision for salvation, but there is a strategy that God himself attaches to it, right? The strategy is that salvation comes in this process through God's servants who go. As they go, they preach. As they preach, people listen. As they listen, some believe. As they believe, they will call upon the name of the Lord. And as they call, they will be saved. Now, you've got to ask yourself the question, is there any point at this that this strategy could break down? And as I look at it, there's only one place that honestly you could put the question mark of would this whole thing kind of fall apart? And that is right here. The second one. His servants going. Because honestly, everything else is going to happen, but there's got to be at this one point a willingness for what? God's people to go. There's got to be a willingness. Our going is an indispensable part of God's strategy for bringing his redemption to the world. This is why Jesus says this. Matthew chapter nine, verse 37 to 38. Remember, we looked at this verse last week, but today I wanna focus on a different part of the same verse. Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but what? The laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He says, if you look around... You will see that the harvest is plentiful. I am ready. I stand ready to save. I am at work. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. God is bringing hope to the nations. The harvest is plentiful. But God draws our attention. Jesus draws our attention to an indispensable part of the strategy and ask us to pray, interestingly, not for the people who are gonna hear, but for the people who need to go. 
He says, if you're going to pray for something, pray that God's people will wake up and be a part of what he wants to do in the world. Will you pray for more laborers to join God's work in the harvest? For I tell you, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, those who understand and accept their responsibility and what God is doing, they're few. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. God's strategy for redeeming the world is through his body. His strategy for bringing about the global worship of Jesus is through his body, the church, to take responsibility to go, to preach, and to heal. Matthew chapter 16. In a conversation with Peter who had just proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you, who does he give? The church, Peter, the church. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What is he saying to Peter? He's saying, Peter, I am going to build my church across this world. I'm going to do it. I will build it. And there's nothing that will stop it. But I need you to understand that you are the church. Upon you, I am building my church through people just like you. And I am giving to you. I'm giving to you the responsibility, the privilege, the authority to be my representatives here on earth. I'm giving you the keys to my kingdom. Through you will come the growth of a global worshiping community of Jesus that you've heard me say will happen from the very beginning. Is that making sense? God's plan is to bring about the global worship of Jesus through the church. The church is God's plan for redeeming the world, and there is no plan B. The church is God's plan for bringing redemption to the world. Hope of Christ, help to the needy. How's it gonna happen? It's gonna happen through the church. And there is no plan B. Now, some of you I know are gonna object. You're gonna say, well, couldn't God do that on his own? Yeah, 
but he's chosen not to. Well, what about the people I hear around the world that have visions and dreams? Yeah, they have them. God is capable to reveal his son Jesus to people, but I have never heard of somebody having a vision or a dream that wasn't followed immediately by a missionary to confirm what they saw was pointing them to the God of Jesus Christ and to urge them to give their life to Christ, and at that point, they become saved. I've never heard of it. Even with Cornelius, somebody might say, well, gosh, in Acts 10, didn't God bring Cornelius to salvation without the church? No. He gave him a vision, but then he sent Peter. And it was when Peter got there and proclaimed Christ that the Cornelius and his family were saved. God has tied his vision and plan for the redemption of all people, for bringing help to a broken and hurting world, the hope of Christ to the nations. He has tied his plan to who? The church. Absolutely. And the reality is, who's the church? We are his church, right? We are his body. I know um, I spent a lot of years thinking always about the church as some organization, some global organization. And I would, maybe you're like this, where you get, you've gotten in, it's a routine of you come to church and you worship, and we're so glad that you do that. I'm so glad that you do that. You're seeking after the Lord. But somehow you distance yourself personally from the church and think that the church is not you and you're not the church. When really, the church would not exist if it weren't for you and other people like you who are in Christ who associate together as the church, right? The only way that we do what we do as a church, you might hear, the church is going to do this. Well, who's the church? People, right? The church is paying for this. Who's the church? You know, we say the church is providing scholarships for missionaries. The church is supporting uh, our missionaries overseas. The church is giving to St. Jude Target House. Who is that? Well, it's money that this family gives and this family gives and this student gives and this individual gives and it all gets pulled together and then we together, looking around this room, it's you who are all giving the money. We together are the church and we together are doing these things. Not some anonymous black hole or some nameless organization. We are the church. Look around. Just look around. Look at your neighbor. This is kind of awkward, but I mean, your neighbor right there, that, you, that you're looking at the church. Look across the room. Don't look at me. <laughs> I'm not the church. I'm one, one small part of this church. If you look around, we are the church. If you got all the Christians together in Memphis, you'd be surprised. Number one, I think of, of the size of that group, although we have more than most in our country, just percentage-wise. But we would be the collective church in Memphis. If you got all the Christians together in the United States, it's the people who would be at that gathering who would be the collective church in the United States. And God looks at us, people, you, me. He says, do you realize that you are my church? So when you hear that I've given you, the church, the keys to the kingdom, 
that I've given you, the church, the commission to go. And without you going, people won't hear. And without them hearing, they're not going to believe. And without them believing, they're not going to call the name of the Lord. And without them calling on the name of the Lord, they're not going to be saved. The indispensable piece of this that you've got to see is you have a part to play. You are my church. You are my body. See, we have been given God's plan. Right? We've been given God's plan. He has given it to us. He has made his power, his his promises to us. He has poured out his power upon us. He's assured us of his presence. We know all of these things. We know his purpose. We know his promise. We experience his power and we believe that he is with us. But then he says, and we can't forget it, then he says what? Go. (laughs) Go. If you know my purpose and you believe my promise, if you've experienced my power and you're assured of my presence, then you've got to also believe that I really want you, not the person beside you, not the preacher in front of you, not the organization that you think is the church, but I'm talking to you. I want you to play a part in what I'm doing in the world. Go. It's a word of action. It's a word of involvement. It's a word of movement. It's a word of motivation. I want you to be a part. We've got to connect the plan of God. All these things we've been talking about in the series. We've got to connect the problems of the world. We have to connect the present opportunities to our personal responsibility to be involved and do something about it. Would you agree? See, this is why I'm saying it's a journey. You've got to make these connections. It's not enough just to know the purpose and the plan of God for all people and to love that God loves the world, although that's a great starting place. It's not just enough to know the problems of the world, to see the brokenness and the needs around you and to feel compassion although that is a wonderful next step. It's not enough just to see, oh, God is working around the world and there is opportunity for people to receive the help and the hope that they so desperately need, although that is a wonderful next step. But we have to connect that plan, those problems, and the present opportunity to our personal responsibility to do something about it. Y'all track it with me this morning. (laughs) John chapter 4, Jesus said this. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. We looked at that last week, the present opportunity. Then he says this, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I have sent you to reap for what you did not labor. And others have labored and you have entered in 
to that labor. He's saying, look around, see the opportunity, but also recognize your personal responsibility. For there is already fruit coming forward, but the fruit is coming forward through those who are doing the work, who are laboring in the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. When does the harvest really receive the reward? It's when the one who's commissioned to go takes responsibility, says, okay, I'm ready. The fruit's hanging on the tree. I wanna go pick it, man. If God's, if God's got this plan and he's made these promises, he's poured out his power and he's assured us of his presence, my goodness, why wouldn't I want to go and be a part of what he's doing in the world, right? Why wouldn't you? The real joy comes not when you sit on the sideline and watch other people play the game, but the joy comes when you get in and you begin to work yourself and you see the fruit that leads to eternal life, the rewards of the harvest. It's awesome. So, I said all that to say, I titled the message today, Saying, all right now, Saying, yes. Okay, this is going to be a prominent part of the message from this point forward, so just get used to the phrase, okay? Saying, yes. yes. Okay? My goal for you, my heart for you, our prayer for you, is that you would be a person who learns to say, to global missions. We want you to have at the front of your heart readiness of lips to say to anything that you can do in a personal way to advance global missions. Whenever it comes to global missions, we always say yes. Now, I'm not necessarily meaning that everybody's just supposed to, I'm not trying to loop everybody into moving to India tomorrow, okay? <laughs> but it seems to be in the scriptures that God wants all of us to feel the joy and the burden of responsibility, knowing that we're part of his church and knowing that the church is a part of God's plan for redeeming and helping a broken world, right? It seems that he wants all of us to sense in a personal way this commission to go and to respond to this commission with a yes in our hearts and a yes on our lips and a yes with our lives. Such that if you ever find any opportunity to do something more than you're presently doing to advance the cause of world missions, getting the gospel to people around the world, taking his help and hope to the needy and the lost. If there's ever any opportunity that your first response would be, yes, 
Yes, of course I will. Why would I not? I don't know how I'm going to do it yet, but I'm telling you now that I want to. I'm telling you now that I will because I have a heart for the world. I have a vision, God's vision for the nations. I see the brokenness and this need, and I see the hope and the opportunity, and I understand that for something to happen, I need to be involved. And I will say yes, yes whenever it comes to global missions. I will say yes to doing something more than what I'm doing right now because I want this, because God wants this. Like Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, famous scene in the Bible, Isaiah chapter six, 740 BC, the year that King Uzziah died, one of the greatest kings in all of Israel, and he vacates the throne, and yet Isaiah sees a vision of a greater king who's still on his throne, the king of kings, God himself. And he sees it, and he's filled with amazement and worship at the glory of God. And he falls on his face, confessing his brokenness and his need and his unworthiness and sin before God. And God comes and cleanses him and reminds him of his mercy and grace. And then he hears, he hears the word of the Lord. Who shall I send? Who shall I send and who will go for us? Who shall I send? Who shall I send and who will go for us? Who shall I send? Who shall I send and who will go for us? Who knows how long this voice had been going on, but we know that at least this is the first time that Isaiah is hearing it. And suddenly a man, just like you and just like me, who is amazed by the glory of God, seeing the vision of him and his plan for the world, who falls on his face in unworthiness with the brokenness of the need, he hears the voice and he connects the dots and he realizes, why not me? Why not me? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah, I don't know if it looked very triumphant or if it looked like him being in a puddle of tears on the floor with a hand that was shaking because he was so scared to raise it. But we know that a voice of willingness came forward and he says with his heart and with his voice, here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Not, you know, Lord, Johnny seems to be at a place of life where he could do that. Lord, would you send Johnny? Lord, my cousin annoys the mess out of me. Please send her. Lord, there are people who know more about the Bible. There are people who are more skilled, more adequate. Send them. In this moment, we have a scene where it doesn't look like he's looking around to pass on the responsibility, but it looks like he's accepting the responsibility that he believes and feels that is his to take. It wasn't that he was great, but that he was willing. And he says, here I am, Lord. Send me. I have a dream, not like MLK, although I like that dream. But that we would not be apathetic 
to the nations, but we would be propelled toward the nations. That we would just not be satisfied just to be somebody who lives in relationship with Jesus and we go about our life as usual, even though we know God's heart, God's vision, God's plan, even though we know the realities of the vastness of our world, the bubble has burst and you've seen the needs all around us, needs of salvation and needs of help. That we would not just be okay seeing the present opportunity and the wonderful things that could happen if people get involved and when people get involved, but that we would take that next step and say, you know what, I am not going to sit idly by, but I want to be involved. Put me in the game, coach. Like you're the guy on the sideline, just standing there. You know, you see him on the football games, you'll see him tonight. They get so excited. They've been sidelined, but they want in the game. It's not their time yet, but they're so excited and ready they're like every play that goes by, they're like, put me in the game, coach. If I got in there, I'd destroy them. You know, whatever they're going to do. I've never played football, so. <laughs> I don't have a clue how to destroy anybody. <laughs> I'm on the sideline going, would you like a cup of water? <laughs> That's my role. And water boys are needed in the game, okay? They're just as important as anybody else. The guy who massages is just as important as the guy who plays. <clears throat> so I tell myself. But... Put me in the game. That should be our attitude as Christians when it relates to world missions. Put me in the game, coach. Lord, here I am. Send me. That I would not just be a sideline spectator, but I would be propelled to be involved. The heart of Paul that he says in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, which I have held onto this verse for a long time in the pursuit and the heart for world missions. He says, I have made it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not yet been named. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. I think I got it. Verse 20. Forgive me for getting the reference wrong. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has been named, lest I build on any other foundation. If you go later this week and look at that verse, the context is he sees God's work happening all over the world. He sees God's power working through him to reach the most unreached of all peoples. And he says, I have given my life over to this. It's taken me a long time. Paul was not a, he did not grow up a Christian. For a long time, he hated Christ. He persecuted those who loved Christ, but God radically changed his life. And Paul said himself, I am the chief of sinners. I am the most unworthy man to do anything for the Lord. If you're in the room today and you think, I can't do it, not knowing my past, you don't know what I've done, you don't know my weakness, you don't know my problems, you don't know how bad it is for me. Listen, God used a lot of scoundrels. Just read the Bible. (laughs) He redeems people. It's not about what you can do. It's about God want, what God wants to do through you. He redeems people for great purposes. He changes our life and redeems the purpose of our life that it might be wonderful and valuable by his grace. And he says, Paul says, seeing the possibilities of what God can do when I'm surrendered and willing, I make it my ambition. He's propelled, put me in the game. I want to live my life in such a way that I make a difference for those who have never heard of Jesus. I want to live my life in such a way that I will always say yes to any opportunity to do something more for the sake 
of global missions. I want to see God worshiped and known all over this world. Amen? So when it comes to global missions, we say yes. yes. We say yes to praying. John Wesley said the greatest need in the world is not money or missionaries. The greatest need in the world for global missions is prayer. We say yes to praying, recognizing that God has told us to pray to the Lord of the harvest, that the harvest might come. You can do that. Another missionary said, what a shame if we spend more time washing dishes or watching TV or mowing the lawn than we do praying for world missions. John Piper said, one of the things that Twitter has done for the world is it showed us that prayerlessness is not owed to lack of time. We can pray. You can say yes to praying for world missions and understand that when you pray, God answers prayers. When you pray for our missionaries, God strengthens them. When you pray for the lost, God brings them to Christ. When you pray for him to send more laborers, more people will rise up and say yes to going full time. When you pray, God listens and God answers because we're praying according to his will. Amen? You can say yes to praying. You can say yes to giving. Amy Carmichael says, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. She's a missionary, one of my heroes. She's got a book, Time to Die. It's just fabulous. You can give without loving. You can't love without giving. We've got to recognize that we are a rich people in a world of, of poverty and need. You can say yes to scaling back your own heart and lifestyle of materialism so that by simplicity and strategic focus, limitation of your resources for your own personal use, you can maximize what you can give away. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your heart is, there your treasure is. We can give. We can give, can we not? We can give. We can say yes to giving more. Joyfully, sacrificially, generously, that we might support a world of need. We can say yes, right? To praying, to giving. We can say yes to going. Keith Falconer, John Keith Falconer said, I put one candle of life to burn. And I would rather burn it in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Other missionaries have said, some people like to live within the sound of a chapel bell, but me, I like to live at the very edge of hell. (laughs) What he's saying is, the sentiment of so many around the world today is that God is stirring that we might say yes to going. For friends, money is not going to save the world only. Prayer is not gonna save the world only. We know from what we've looked at today that people are going to bring about God's redemption in the world by proclaiming the news of Jesus. 
we, the church, must say yes to going. And yes, it looks like one week a year is what we ask of everybody in this church. We need you to go, to say yes. It's a no-brainer thing. Why wouldn't you spend a week of vacation a year to go? If you know that by going, people will be saved, lives will be changed, hurts will be mended, help will be provided. Yes, we say yes. But more than just short term, we should all think about could we go in a more long-term way? God doesn't use superheroes. I realized that when I was in Africa, but he uses men who are weak and feeble enough to just lean on him. We have so many resources. We have so many skills. You have what it takes to go and live. Just go live just by living in a needy, unreached area as a doctor, as a lawyer, as a business person, as a mom, as an accountant, as a musician, just by choosing to live in one of these needy, unreached places, what an amazing difference God could make through your life. For you would be a candle burning in the darkness and your light tends to shine brighter in the darkness than it does in a land flooded with light. We should say yes to going. We should say yes to mobilizing. Understanding that God provides the people he needs in every generation to reach the world for Christ. You should say yes. What are you gonna say? Yes. What are you gonna say? Yes, yes, yes. When it comes to world missions, we say yes to do whatever we can do. I want you to watch a video right now of three different people in our church who have said yes and to hear their story and the difference that it's making. currently a practicing pediatrician here in Memphis. I knew from a very early age that that's what God had called me to do. And so kind of as I grew up, I continued to follow my pursuit of medicine um, and my following that I felt where God had led me. Um, And I continued to follow Christ. Uh, But for the longest time, I kind of felt as though these were two separate things. My name is Miles Nairn. Uh, I've been going to ICC for about a year. And last May, I decided to go on my very first mission trip to Guatemala. Hi, I'm Brady Jordan. I'm Anthony Jordan. I guess for me, um, missions really wasn't um, something that I was really brought up on, um, but really coming to ICC and, and you know hearing Barrett, who's very passionate about missions, talk about it, it really made you think um, that there really is a bigger picture. I had never really uh, wanted to do a mission trip before, basically because there was a couple of things I was afraid of. Um, it, it wasn't sure, the traveling, it wasn't... Um, conditions necessarily. It was really um, a combination of two things. One, I never really felt, I guess, adequate in my faith um, that I knew enough or even loved God enough, as bad as I hate to say that, um, 
to share it with someone else. Uh, and then it was also actually a part um, going with other people, like from church, that you knew, maybe you weren't best friends with, but that you knew okay. And I've always been a pretty private person. And so having to open up uh, to others that you only somewhat know um, was, was frightening for me. So I went on my first mission trip, um, and it was a few year, a couple years ago. Um, we, I went on the first trip when ICC went to Ivory Coast on the medical mission trip, um, and through that, God just really worked in my heart um, from building those relationships with people there, um, and just seeing other parts of the world. Um, that really holds a special place in my heart. And um, when I met Anthony, I made that very verbal. I, <laughs> I met him right when I got back from that mission trip. And so um, he saw that that passion there, um, and he started thinking more about it then. I was able to spend a week in Ivory Coast with the church doing mobile medical clinics, and then later spend another month working at a hospital in Niger in West Africa. And it was through these trips, and as God continued to use me, that I finally began to see these two callings I had begin to overlap. The call to follow Christ and the call to become a doctor. And that these two weren't two separate callings, but rather one. So I knew after returning from my month in Niger that God had really begun to uh, speak to my heart and began calling me to where I could see, um, or I felt the pull to something more, something more than just one week long trips um, a few times a year but more a lifelong call and that it, to truly be able to um, invest in the culture and invest in people, that it was something that he was calling me to give my life to you. This is the story of my best birthday. So we were building a house for a man named Edgar and his family. Uh, Edgar was, a, they were pretty quiet, um, probably just a bit overwhelmed by having a lot of foreign strangers hanging out on their property all day. Uh, they were very nice, uh, nice people and we had built a house from them. Most of their house was done. This was towards the end of the day. And we all gathered around to um, basically share the gospel with them, some intentional time spent to, to talk about God with them. Edgar was a quiet guy, uh, sometimes seemed a bit unresponsive, um, actually. He, he would look down at his feet. He didn't usually make eye contact um, when you were speaking with him. And as Mr. Steve began to speak in that moment, uh, Edgar was doing that. He was, uh, he was standing there at the you know, you guess listening, but kind of looking down, um, motionless, more or less. Um, I'll tell you what was running through my mind in that moment, was that I really hope he's hearing us. I really hope he's hearing God. Um, but you just you just don't know. And, and I'm hoping, selfishly, I think in my own heart, for my own faith, uh, I would love to see physical evidence of, of God doing work in someone. Mr. Steve began to talk about Michelle as uh, Edgar had a wife and, and a small daughter there with him. Uh, Mr. Steve talked about um, how raising Michelle, you know, he, he was scared to death and that it was his most important job was, and he just hoped that he could raise her to love God. And he related this to Edgar and, and told him that raising his daughter in that light was the most important thing that he could ever do. Uh, and finally, that hit home for Edgar. And, and as Mr. Steve is, is doing this, Edgar, uh, Edgar starts to cry. He does. And I, I am, I'm sitting there just wondering, like, is he hearing us? I just, 
you just don't know if he's really listening or if he's just kind of nodding his head, being compliant because these nice people are here building me a house. And then the guy starts to cry, and it's the greatest thing ever. And Mr. Steve sees it, kind of comes closer to him, puts his hands on his shoulders, and just tells him how much that, that God loves him and that God has sent us here to tell him that and to, to help him and to be with him. And at that moment, they hugged, and it just it was the most unforgettable scene I've ever gotten to witness. As we started to think about going on a mission trip, some of the apprehensions that we had uh, was really around the finances. Um, just being newlyweds, um, combining two sets of incomes together, um, having some student loan debt, other debts, um, just the financial burden of now looking at this saying, you know, how are we going to make this work um, in our day-to-day -day budget? Um, and, you know, that was really hard for me um, because I'm a planner. I like to... Um, really look at the numbers and know exactly um, where the money is going to come from. Um, but, you know, with conversations and praying uh, with Brandy about it, we've, you know, it, it really allowed me to have to uh, just rely on God um, that he will provide uh, a way for us to go. And then also just thinking through um, families and people who don't understand this call um, and just trying to explain that to them um, in a gospel-based way. When you go to these other countries, you see the vast physical needs um, of the people there. There are hundreds of children that are malnourished and are um, suffering and dying from things like malaria and pneumonia and things that you just don't see in the United States. And being able to care for the physical needs of these patients, um, despite how difficult it is um, and the things that you see, you really feel like you're making a difference. And also it's through that that you're able to um, connect with people and let them know that even when you can or can't take care of their physical needs, offering them um, the love of the great physician from there. Um, and showing them um, that their spiritual needs are even more important than the physical needs that they see. It's an opportunity uh, for us to do uh, what God calls us to do, um, and that, that's to go. Um, and that's to uh, spread the gospel uh, to those who don't have an opportunity to hear it. Um, it is to build relationships, long-lasting relationships with those individuals. Um, and it's one of the main reasons why I say yes uh, to mission trips. Um, it's because it's, it's time for me to get out of the bubble uh, that is um, here in the States and really go see um, what other people in the world uh, live with on a day-to-day -day basis. That is why I am saying yes to go. And that's why I'm continuing to say yes to go. And, and that's, that's why, why we're saying, saying yes to, to go. go again and for the first time. Praise God. We've got to connect the plan of God to the problems of the world, to the present opportunity, to our personal responsibility. And I pray that for every heart, every person here, that we would say, yes. Here I am, Lord. Send me. You may not know what that means. <laughs> and that's why faith is required. But I do believe you know that a yes is the best answer that you can give. <laughs> Will lead to the most wonderful and eternal results. I'll never forget that night. 
in that small little building, unless you will ever go to, dirty little corner that I was in, when a man preached about the global vision for the world. And I felt the Spirit of God staring me in a unique way. And maybe some of you feel that way today. And I didn't know what it all meant, but I knew that my life had never been a, focused on this, had never included this, had never been moving toward this in any way. And I wanted, just like Isaiah, to raise a willing hand. Say, Lord, I don't know what it means, but I know I want to be a part of it. I want to say yes. God has done a lot, tons of my life since then, more than I ever would have time to explain for you to sit here today and listen to, but I, it's been the greatest journey ever. You may not end up being a preacher. Don't let where I am scare you. But for everybody, the journey toward the nations begins just with a willing yes. Toward prayer, giving, going, mobilizing, but that we would all, as God's church, God's body, say yes. When it comes to seeing the world reached and helped with the hope of Christ, we say yes. Amen? If you'll stand as we respond today, I believe that God is working I really believe that God is working. I will be here. I've asked two others who I trust to come forward as well as prayer counselors. I believe some of you might need to just step forward today in some way, just with a, an act of willingness to say yes to being a greater part of global missions. There are so many ways that you could respond. But I do pray that in your heart today, with sincerity, that you will have a yes to God. Wherever he leads that yes to go, let him take care of it. But you would just have a willing yes. If you want to receive prayer or make some kind of commitment or decision or just let somebody know about what you're going through, we are going to be here. Sing. Worship as God leads. If you want to make a decision for Christ, join our church, be baptized or anything else, you come. But right now is your time to spend with the Lord and really to focus on deep, deep, deep in your heart, God knows Is your answer yes? Respond and pray that God would give you a willing heart.